0: Welcome to Citizens Insight, the Citizens Party's interviewed series with Australians who are knowledgeable on subjects that are of um, importance to the national interest. Today's episode of Citizens Insight, Morrison's lower lending standards will send lambs to slaughter. And My guest today is an Australian who probably knows more about the consequences of lower lending standards than anybody else, Denise Braley the founder of the Banking and Finance Consumers Support Association. Welcome, Denise.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Rod. Yeah, good.
0: good. It's very good to have you here. This is a timely discussion because um, you, as I said, would know more about this subject than anybody else just from the sheer experience of being on the front line, um, dealing with the cases of people who were given bad loans by the banks they should never have been given, who were talked into those loans by predatory banks and then had to suffer the consequences. And um, and now the subject has uh, come up again. So you've got a long history in dealing with these. Denise, we've we've, um, had the pleasure of interviewing you on our Citizens Report a number of times. Um, But we haven't spoken for a little while, and so I thought it would be a good time to catch up now that the Treasurer... And the uh, prime minister have come up with a a um, brainwave about how to get the economy going again. And their idea is that in this context of an economic, of a severe economic slowdown, of course, you know, contributed to by the the, the coronavirus pandemic, etc. But one which had already started, and that's an important thing to note, right? The crisis, the economic problems were well and truly here before the coronavirus. Um, In that context, the government's desperate to get the economy going again. And so out of their desperation, Morrison and Frydenberg have told the banks to lower their lending standards. So to start with, Denise, what do you think of that policy?
1: Well, for one, I don't think that subprime lending has stopped. There's 80% of it still going according to the sellers. They're still promoting subprime because their target market is still the older people with assets who own their own home. The second point is that the financial products are the problem. They're low-docs and no-docs. You can never pay them off. So low-docs and no-docs are low lending standards. That's what they are. So the Prime Minister suggests that it was okay for lowering lending standards by now way of policy is insane. I mean, right now we need long-term policies. We need safer lending products. We need an end to the bad products that are already still there and being sold that lead to financial ruin for thousands and thousands of mostly older Australians. And it's not for the faint-hearted. The plan is desperate decision-making that the Prime Minister is advocating, and it leads to homelessness. We know that. My, my files are full of people that had to move out of the home they'd worked for for 40 years and, and saved hard for, and then uh, have lost their home by talking them into buying a second house to push the construction market.
0: So, Denise, that's an interesting perspective which few other people would have, which is that um, what do you, ha, how much your argument, I suppose, to sum up is how much lower can lending standards go because you haven't seen any evidence that lending standards have been that high. And as you say, you get this from talking to brokers, right? Brokers are the ones who are telling you the kinds of products they're selling are still these low-doc, no-doc and alt-doc alt loans. Yes, may I
1: make a point there that- when, um, the in 1996 98, when these products started appearing, uh, in any great numbers, there were 7,000 brokers or sellers. Now there is 40,000. Now it may have slacked off the last couple of months, I'm talking overall, but they are still selling these same products because that is the only market they can get a, a foothold in, so therefore. Um, The end result was in, in five years, the bank ends up with the house. You hand over the keys. It doesn't translate into the courts because they don't do so many repossessions as years ago. They just get the keys handed over and you're no longer the owner of your own home.
0: Now, this was this issue of poor lending standards and the victim's of banks who had taken these bad loans. and yes they'd applied for them, but they'd been talked into applying for them and then suffered the consequences. This was one of the main issues that led to the 2018 Banking Royal Commission. and you were heavily involved in the lead up to that. Just give people a sense of how bad that the scale of the problem was in Australia.
1: Well, I had sent, as you know, multitude of letters, getting hundreds and thousands of other people to also write letters to the prime minister and treasurer of the day and ab- advise of this problem that we needed a bank royal commission. So this assumption that banks can now have lower lending, uh, sorry, the assumption that banks have higher standards is false. They aren't going to suddenly manufacture higher pro- standards because that would lower the amount of money they bring in each year. So the business model is the problem. And the banks win every time. The customers lose. They lose their assets. So the banks make money by using lower lending standards. By promoting, they're going to somehow miraculously make their standards higher. To me, it's just farcical.
0: Yeah. Now, I can can state now that um, it, it is known... There was a leaked document revealed in 2016 that was an APRA report in 2007 of the impact of lower lending standards then, which APRA was informed of. The report stated that the lower lending standards had led to three times the mortgage lending than otherwise would have been the case. So it identified a bubble then in 2007 and noted that delinquencies were on the rise, and of course, this was around the same time the same thing was happening in, in the United States that led to the global financial crisis. So an Australian APRA report said that then, and APRA's the bank regulator, in 20, 2018, this, 2016, sorry, this report was, became public um, because it was leaked, but th- the point was APRA had sat on that report. That was the bank regulator, had no interest in 2007 in addressing that problem, and then you know, the problem just got worse and worse and worse and led to the Royal Commission Now, Denise, you would have, um, just to give people who don't know you, a better insight into who you are. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you advocated personally on behalf of something like 2,000 bank victims yourself. Is that correct?
1: Yes, starting around about 2001. And then it escalated into, by 2005, there were things going on out there in the marketplace. That just shouldn't be going on involving banks, property, and mortgages. And so by 2007, these reports probably came from various politicians raising issues in Parliament. And even in 2005, there was the PIA inquiry. So it started a series of inquiries. Uh, That was the Property Investment Advice Inquiry. But eventually by 2012, it had reached a crescendo and I was called back in to Parliament as a witness in the Senate. And that was particularly for another inquiry, but this time banks uh, it it was a banking inquiry. And in that particular uh, inquiry, the evidence I gave was specifically targeting um, the residential backed mortgage securities, as to the rate of, uh, of I wanted to know the percentage of these subprime low doc loans in the RMBS packages. Now, up until the, then, the banks had denied to the media there was any any um, percentage at all in those RMBS packages, which was totally false, as we found out later.
0: Well, then, of course, I do remember in in two thousand and eight. when the the global financial crisis hit, it did become public that low-doc, no-doc loans, which were in 2001% of all lending, had reached 20% of all lending, at least. Um, These are official figures. As of 2008, that was on a par with the United States where you had the uh, meltdown. Um, I I can also say, Denise, I want to tell the the audience a story now about you um, because... I was in a meeting in 2014 in uh, then Assistant Treasurer Arthur Sinodinos' office, and the meeting included Joe Hockey's chief of uh, chief economist uh, named Tony Pearson, a former NAB banker who's now back with the Banking Association, and I was a, I was accompanying a, an international guest who was a banking expert, and this um, Hockey's chief economist Tony Pearson sat there and talked about how great ASIC and APRA were as regulators, and also present in the meeting was Wacker Williams, the National Party senator, who did a lot to try and get the Royal Commission going. So this is in 2014, four years before the Royal Commission, and Wacker Williams almost choked in response to Tony Pearson, and he said, well, I talked to Denise Braley, and she has a very different view of ASIC and APRA. <laughs> So this was, a, this was a real serious and growing problem in those years that, that you were known to be the person who um, knew most about. Yes, well, it was Weka that then came
1: over around that time in 2013-14 uh, and we had breakfast together um, in order to discuss, uh, you know, he gave up his, his weekend to meet me on a Sunday morning. I had to drive down from my home Um, to to have this two-hour meeting and then he flew straight back to Canberra and uh, started work on what he was going to do to, uh, armed with the information I'd given him, the evidence I'd given him, um, the current situation then, as to there has to be a royal commission into the banks. And I'd already given that evidence in 2012. So he was fully armed then with why we should be doing more to get, stop this ever-ending run of inquiries, which the, answer, uh, the answers we sought were already forewritten, and uh, start really examining what had been going on.
0: Now, before we, let's get to the Royal Commission in a second, but just one, one other thing before that. I just wanted to quote Scott Morrison um, the other week, the day he made this announcement, and this is a very revealing quote um, that I want your response to, Denise. He said in justifying this policy to lower lending standards in order to encourage banks to lend more. He said this, quote, it isn't in the bank's interest to lend to someone who can't repay. You've had a lot of experience. Is that true?
1: No, it's not in the bank's best interest to actually do anything other than low-doc loans. They don't make as much money. I don't know what I'm, the government um, does not understand, and particularly the Prime Minister and Treasurer. They do not understand. It's not in the consumer's best interest to continue with the status quo. And the problem with that is that we've got a... We've had a Royal Commission. Yes, we could talk about that in a moment, but the point is it was substandard. It, It didn't... It only spent six days on this subject. And there's all these consumers losing their homes. They're mainly older people, 50 years plus, mostly 65 to 93. And they're losing their homes because they're being targeted by the sellers who are told that is the marketplace. The sellers don't know they're selling a bad product. They don't understand why would the bank sell a bad product.
0: By by sellers, you mean by sellers. By sellers, you mean so brokers.
1: It's a, 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 they're selling them a mortgage.
0: Yeah.
1: In order to buy a second home.
0: Yeah.
1: And the second home then will end up losing them both assets.
0: And to, to be, be clear, this is why. And that's the problem.
1: They they get sorry, Robbie.
0: Now you go ahead. Finish that thought.
1: What. What, what, what is happening out there, which I've given evidence for several times and written umpteen reports, including a 14-page report to uh, Mr. Hayne, uh, is, is that these particular people are being targeted if they have an asset. That means they own their own home, ordinary mums and dads. That's where the money is. It's that money and asset that the bank wants. That's how it's making such outrageous money. That money is coming off the backs of 40 years hard work by mums and dads. They're told to go and buy a house in a different state than what they live, so they can't go and drive by. Borrow a subprime loan, which is easily loaned to them. They don't know it's a subprime loan. They just think it's an ordinary mortgage, like they paid off before. Yeah. They don't know it's not a P and I. And that is leads them down the track that within five years, they will lose both homes, they will be homeless.
0: That right. is the issue. Now, and what you what you mean by P and I is principal and interest, and most of the time these are interest only loans. And where what what um, where Scott Morrison was dead wrong is the bottom line is the banks did find a way to make money out of lending to people who can't repay, because as you said, there's an asset that they're targeting like predators, and it works. The model works for the banks really well in a rising property market. As prices are going up, they can grab that asset, sell it, and it covers all the loan and everything. It's just the poor the poor original homeowner is the loser. And that's what, this, that's what you were heavily involved in with new, in, you know, numerous um, cases of that that led to the Royal Commission. It was one of the main issues that led to the Royal Commission, but as you've, as you've foreshadowed, you look at the Royal Commission in its in its treatment of this subject, which was of all the various things it it it, um, it looked at, this was the most important thing to look at, and it was substandard, as you say. How effective do you rank it, the Royal Commission overall, Denise?
1: It's pathetic, utterly pathetic, because it 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 did highlight a few problems, but they focused on fees for dead people. Why? Because That meant the bank only had to pay back a small amount of money. Fees for dead people, uh, fees for no work done. That's what we spent all that 12 months on. We only spent six days of the Royal Commission on the most important issue that's robbing people of their homes and their 40 years hard work is the low dock loan. And that is still going. So my argument here and my answer to even your previous question was it's not about One Road Bank. This is the banks acting as a cartel. There is hijinks in the banking system right as we speak. Nothing to do with COVID, whether you work from home or whatever. The hijinks is still there. They have to do this to create masses of files that are full of fraud on the loan application forms. But as I highlighted before, you can't blame the sellers. They don't approve the loans. The loans themselves are raised as pieces of paper as an application. And then it's robo-approval of these loans. So it's the mechanism and the algorithms of the actual computer programs that drive this fraud. There are strong, strong banking laws, but the laws are not applied by ASIC. We've got weak regulators, and then we've got a prime minister saying, well, ASIC doesn't really have to get involved. You all should be responsible for what you get yourself into. So caveat we have emptor. weak regulators, and the game plays on.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the philosophy that that the prime minister has doubled down on: caveat emptor, buyer beware. Whereas, um, just as an aside, just as an aside here, in 1933, when Franklin Roosevelt was elected president of the United States, following the banking crisis that caused the Great Depression. Um, there had been this inquiry called the uh, uh, PCORA Commission, the PCORA inquiry into the banks, which unmasked them as criminal enterprises. And um, Roosevelt said, it's not no longer let the buyer beware, it's let the seller beware. And a whole heap of reforms were brought in on that philosophy to hold the banks um, accountable, make them honest in their dealings. Because, of course, the equation is very unfair. The banks have all the power and the borrower doesn't have the knowledge, doesn't have the power, and they're sitting ducks if, if the banks are allowed to be predators. Um, when you say, Denise, when you talk about this phenomenon of the sellers, just to be clear, you mean, by, when you say sellers, you mean brokers, right? The, the, what we, we call, call yes, mortgage so brokers. brokers. Yeah. So it's the difference between the brokers and the banks. Um, the UBS, the, the, the UBS bank, unit run by Jonathan Mott does these regular surveys of mortgages. The latest latest survey that was just out the other day uh, shows 37% of mortgagors admitted their applications were not completely factual and accurate. Now this is the category that gets reported as liar loans in the media, they're called liar loans. So a couple of things on that I wanted to put to you. One you think the real figure is even higher than that 37%, right, in your experience. And two, you take issue with who the liar is, right?
1: Yes, that's right. The liar is the bank. The liar is those that are putting out something where they're not telling the truth to the customer. Now, that can't just be sheeted home to the broker because the broker doesn't even know the mechanics of the lie. He doesn't approve the loans. So therefore, the lie is in the actual approval of the loan, which is conducted by a computer. So one of the biggest problems we mentioned before that I have is policy. And I can say this. I was talking to the deputy chair of ASIC in 2005, which was his invitation. And I said to him, yes, Jeremy, but... Are you talking about ASIC policy or Canberra's policy? And I knew the chairman was in the next room. And he nodded towards Canberra. That's as close as he would go to it. So we're talking about government policy, but they are very aware that in the bank situation, same scenario, the bank's policies are to make money. That is what it's all about. So the point that I was raising before, is it's not in the bank's best interest to lend to someone who cannot pay. They tell you that. But it is in the bank interest to pretend those persons can pay, right? So where the UBS figure comes in, uh, it it validates the bank's claim. So it's another bank. Invalidating a bank. Okay. So there could be arguments for and against that, and I'm sure that's gonna go around the coffee rooms with a hell of laughter. But the point is it doesn't eliminate the eighty percent reality of what is going on. Like we 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 we're almost at the stage where we've got to call for an independent Royal Commission, Mark Two. Yeah. Why should we have to go there after paying the one? Because this problem we are talking about, you and I today, Bobby, has only had six days scrutiny. There's another thing. Did you know there were 10,323 submissions to the Royal Commission?
0: I did know that. That, that but you Royal you wouldn't. Commission.
1: Do you know how many of those? Sorry?
0: No, I said I did know that, but you wouldn't know it by the amount of cases on the stand.
1: No, I'll do better than that the 10,323 submissions, have a guess at how many of those were called to the witness stand.
0: (laughs) Um, uh, Let me see, what's 1%? It's probably even not that, am I right?
1: You're so close, it doesn't matter. The the actual figure and the accurate figure is zero. How do I know that? Because I was talking with bankers at the time. And they were blaming me. Oh Denise, you've given us all this work to do at the moment because because we've got to prepare for the Royal we have to prepare for the Royal Commission. So and the, the papers reflected that saying they must the staff in the banks must be burning the midnight oil. What they were doing is pulling out old cases. So if you have a look at the six days of nonsense the banking mortgage problem in Australia. Yep. You will find that of that, the three people that appeared on the stand, their cases were settled in
0: 2015. So how did they were they were they cases that the banks picked to go to the stand?
1: Yes, the ASIC asked the banks to dig up a few old cases we can put in front of the Royal Commission. I go. am utterly devastated by that. And 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 thanks to you, Robbie, you managed to get. People to pay for me to come down to uh, Melbourne to sit there and listen to this uh, twaddle, and that's why we need a royal commission, bank number two, because they, mark number two, because there is no um, end to this story unless we properly examine what is going on.
0: No, that that's an interesting story itself. Um, the first week of the royal commission started quite dramatically on this subject of. Um, bad mortgage lending and so at the end of the week I called up Denise and said you should come for the second week because we just assumed that this, knowing how big the problem was that this would take a lot of time for the Royal Commission to go through so we we flew Denise over from Western Australia to Melbourne to participate for the second week and was it half a day or one and a half days they, they did extra on it before they moved off onto something else. Um, That's just six
1: and a half days, yes. Six and a half days. And and I wouldn't have come all that way had I known that. Yeah, of course. Uh, So it was a complete farce. Uh, I thought they would go through the prelims in the first five days, Uh, but that's not what happened. It was just looking at three cases that were pretty tame, nothing like I'd been raising at all, and designed to just bring those. And that was the other problem. If you read through the transcripts, um, Commissioner Hain had to uh, actually go through these three cases and agree publicly that these people that had all signed, because their complaints have been settled with the bank three years before. So because of that, they all had to, Sorry, I'll get back Commissioner Hain had to go back and state publicly that the three people that had come from 2015 to the 2018 inquiry, they were allowed exemptions because they had signed stat decks with the banks that they would not tell anybody what the settlement was or anything about the case. So, how could they be witnesses unless Hain gave them a sanction.
0: Yeah. yeah. So that so I hope this I hope this gives the viewer an insight from your unique perspective into one the whole problem which led to the royal commission, but then the absolute failings of the royal commission. So then, Denise, you get to today or, or now, and this policy the government has announced that where Morrison and Friedenberg are demanding the bank's lower lending standards further, which is which is the point. Um, you have to ask. Yes, it is. What was the point of the Royal Commission? Did it serve a purpose well, at all? Well, that's right.
1: I mean, uh, yeah, well, you know, that's right. Well, why, would we, why would we be going through all this? And, then, and the big point was the cause for the Royal Commission, for the first sake, was for the sake of the consumers, not the banks. Yeah, yeah. the banks were allowed to run it. They chose the terms of reference. Payne has admitted he worked them out with Ken Henry. Yep,
0: that's
1: right. I mean, how can you do this? A, you know, a chairman of a bank, the biggest bank, uh, working out the terms of reference of its own inquiry. It was a bank inquiry into itself. So it was totally controlled from the beginning. So they were supposed to be raising banking standards according to the public demand. But instead, The big point was for the banks. They they took control of the narrative, that's what angers me, in regards to mortgage fraud. They completely shut it down within days in spectacular fashion. The focus was on the 56,000 instances uh, we thought were going to be put forward, and nothing was shown. You know, but there was 56,000 breaches of fees for dead people and fees for work done. That was what was going on. The point for the government, their point of view, was to give ASIC a part-time job so they didn't have to do anything more and to look after the library. That's all ASIC ever does. (laughs) I've been its biggest critic there. And the point for the taxpayers, well, they might want to know from their point of view, was it a waste of money in just spending all that money covering up the truth? Because in actual fact, that's what we got. Uh, it was a cover-up. not not a proper royal commission. It had a weak terms of reference, deliberately so. So, yes, it was a cover-up.
0: Well, and therefore, that's how people need to um, understand this new policy. Uh, It's a continuation of what is a lot of corruption and criminality that's long existed inside the banking system. The government's just given it a green light to go even harder and, and, and unfortunately, most politicians will look the other way because I'll buy into the, the line that this is desperately needed for the economy. And um, yeah, and this is not a way. It, it, what it means is what, you, you can buy into that pact if you want, that grand bargain, oh yeah, let, 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 let the banks... Because what, what, what allows... When banks lend money, they're creating money and that money does circulate through the economy. But it's going to leave all these victims in its wake and a lot of debt, as we've argued, and this is not the way to generate an economic recovery. We have to have a proper economic recovery, and I want to talk about that a bit more in a minute and get Denise's views. But just to, Denise, let's just, um, I think we've covered that subject pretty well. Uh, Let's just talk, I wanted you to talk about one more subject because I think it...
1: it, Can I interrupt you there, Robbie?
0: Yes.
1: Sorry, can I just interrupt you and put in one more point I wanted to raise with this. You can. All of this is about bad bank conduct. So the conduct, we were able to uh, negotiate with banks to actually take individuals to the bank and get their matter resolved. I was doing that behind the scene for 25 years. But in 2009, something changed very quietly that the West of the world doesn't realise. Right. The Australian banks decided to have a little meeting and absolutely crucify the um, bank banking code of conduct that we had relied upon in court and won court cases over it. We had relied upon in order to have arguments so that debts could be extinguished, which we did.. Yeah. So in the 2019 glossy edition promoted by the ABA, that particular banking code of conduct, have a read of it, section 25.1, 27.1, all those affordable um, uh, loans must be affordable as the biggest criteria in that particular uh, uh, code of conduct booklet. That's been squashed. You know what is in its place is something even more evil than I thought the banks could ever get worse. And this it makes a mockery what the Prime Minister and Treasurer are trying to sell. It's not going to work with the average person. The code of conduct today means that the loan can, must not be unsuitable. That is not a crime. <sighs> no. In other words, all the laws we fought for, for unaffordability, that they must be affordable, that's been scrapped. As long as it's not unsuitable for that little old lady, it's open slather again. The banks did that mid last year with the Prime Minister's glowing report and the Treasurer's endorsement of it. And ASIC no longer has a job.
0: Yep. No, there you go. It's a damning indictment of the system. And uh, like I said, it means that we have to do not uh, uh, understand that the Banking Royal Commission didn't solve anything the system must still be reformed. But we're, we're almost starting from scratch. However, the, the awareness is quite important and we, we have some policies that the Citizens Party has put up to, to deal with that. But just before we, get on, just before we conclude, Denise, um, let's talk briefly, because I think what you're doing now is in a slightly different area, but it's related. But it just reminds people uh, how um, the, the question of f- predatory finance is still out there and it's still preying on people, and you're you're um, you're fighting for victims now in this other scandal of, the, of involving a company in WA called Sterling First, and it's and it's another example of ASIC allowing vulnerable elderly people to be exploited by financial sharks. So just tell us briefly about that.
1: Yes, well, a little uh, less known secret, uh, Robbie, is that I actually retired. <laughs> I wouldn't do any more bank work. Um uh, I thought i at my age I have done my bit yep. and that I would retire gracefully and that lasted six months. Then I get a call from people that were involved in sterling first, and one of those was a lady who had already fixed her problem with debts to the, the bank, a a major bank. So this woman rang me and said, Oh Denise, I've done it again. And I said no. And then her friend of hers rang up and he's a well-known footballer. And I said, oh, okay, I will have a look at it. And since then, I've been looking after, really, there's about 180 individuals that are couples that are involved in what is called Sterling First. It's a rent-for-life uh, scheme where you sign eight rewatt leases in each state for a 40-year um, Uh, itemized contract to pay your rent for 40 years, no matter your age. Most of the ages of this are 75 to 93. And you pay in advance uh, any money you get from the sale of your house. So that it's cheaper than going into a retirement village. That was the spiel. Don't fall for it. It is the next big scandal that somebody else is going to try later on. Yep. At the moment, yep. these people have gone into bankruptcy. So within three years, they had managed to collect off, off these 107 couples uh, a total of about uh, 17 million dollars, and threw it into a bonfire for themselves and stole the money. It's gone. Now where acid falls, where acid falls fall, fall is, acid is- this- Sorry, yeah, go on.
0: Let me ask this question and then you can elaborate. So where ASIC's role is this, in this is really bad is that ASIC knew this company, Sterling First, pre-existed by another name, uh, Heritage, I believe, got in trouble doing the same thing and just renamed itself and was then able to trade as Sterling First and do the same thing. ASIC knew that and didn't protect these couples from this, this company's predatory practices.
1: Yes, we knew of a number uh, of people who had complained to ASIC between 2011, 2014, putting their money into another scheme with the same directors, but under the name of Heritage. They stole $20 million. I use the word stealing because I can't see it any other way where you tell people you're going to get one thing knowing that probably isn't going to happen. And then you spend the money, but the worst lie of the lot was they told these people this money was going into a trust account. In the first version, they told everybody the money was actually going into a new listing on the stock exchange. And They had many meetings, the directors, with ASIC. And ASIC, at a high, highest level with lawyers and lawyers, were discussing these actual um, uh, prototype products. Yeah. Uh, the, the money would then be uh, put into the company and the company would be listed. ASIC said no to the listing of the, on the stock exchange. So there were meetings. But then ASIC allowed Sterling, uh, Heritage to change its name to Sterling. And al- although the people had complained from Queensland to Victoria about Heritage, all those files were shredded. This piece... Spe- This company started up a second time as Sterling First and took another close to $20 from these other people by selling houses to buyers from other states. And most of the victims of the tenancies are in WA, specifically Mandurah. Right. So the people, the buyers come along and they're saying to me, well, we're victims too. I understand that. They were sold houses that were at least 100,000 more than they were worth. They've got a problem now with the mortgages because the company's collapsed. This is going through the courts right as we speak. There is the argument from the tenants that they have paid an average of two to $300,000 upfront in advance to what they thought was a trust account, which was, uh, in Worrell's language, was an inappropriate account. So there was no trust, the money has gone. So the the tenants naturally say, we're staying put. We've paid the money up front. So the landlords have now got the problem. They can't get, uh, uh, they got a temporary uh, reprieve for a little while with the tenants paying a little bit of money to them, but that stopped. So they're getting no rent and they've got to suffer no rent on an investment property for the next 40 years. Or thirty-seven part thereof,
0: and they're in their seventies, eighties, and nineties. Now, Denise, what yeah. um, what response from the government have you had to this scandal?
1: Over a thousand letters have been sent to Mr. Morrison, Mr. Uh, uh, Frydenberg. They're not responding in an appropriate manner. It's just going through their correspondence file. Uh, of one-pagers, and there's no empathy there at all for the people in this predicament. It's only 107 people, for goodness sake. It's only 20 million. That's what I've been saying to the banks. I don't care whether it's the treasurer or it's the banks that pay up the money. I'm not blaming the banks for this. They're caught on this problem as well. However, I am saying to the banks in letters, which I've sent you copies, uh, that uh, they've got to pay up at least 10 million of this money and I'll then battle Mr. Freidenberg to get the rest of the money.
0: Well Denise And that be- way allow,
1: I, I ask the banks to do that because it's their landlords that have got the problem.
0: Yeah. Well, so Denise- what do the
1: landlords do? Hang the keys back to the banks. So the banks come out on top no matter which what they do.
0: And and ain't that always the way? <laughs> Denise we'll keep an eye on we'll, we'll keep an eye on this story. Because, but I wanted you to cover it because I just, you know, to show that you're still in there fighting. But also, it illustrates uh, how badly off uh, Scott Morrison was in mid 2018 when his first response to the Royal Commission was to say, "We cannot lose the principle of caveat emptor in the in the financial system, which means let the buyer beware." How can the buyer beware if the regulator ASIC allows? Predatory companies to change their name Phoenix in order to suck in more uh, victims. This is the... and prey on
1: more elderly people. That's exactly. what they're
0: doing. This is this this is a bankrupt. This is a morally bankrupt approach. Let the buyer beware. We have to fundamentally reform reform the system. So Denise, just to conclude, as you know, our party, the Citizens Party, we are pushing very hard for proper banking reform. Um, including a Glass-Steagall separation of commercial and investment banking. And what that does, of course, um, in terms of the general problem of lower lending standards, it takes away the incentive for banks to gamble on mortgages because when there's a Glass-Steagall separation and banks can't do investment banking, they can't do securitization, they can't do derivatives, and these are all the things that actually allow um, bad loans to be profitable, right? So so Glass-Steagall addresses that. We're also working, as we speak, actually, because this this is a mounting mortgage debt problem, on a uh, a debt restructuring plan to deal with this huge mountain of unpayable mortgage debt, but in a way that allows people to keep their homes, um, instead of waiting for the inevitable crash that will wipe everyone out, including the banks. So what do you think of those policies?
1: Well, I think the policies need... Somebody with responsible thinking to actually understand buyer beware is a recipe for disaster for the economy. I'll repeat, it's a recipe for disaster for the economy. It cannot sustain. It just means you've got to keep picking up more victims and more victims so there's nobody else left in Australia with that owns their own home. We'll all be tenants in our own nation. I don't agree with these policies whatsoever. I think that the public has to be more educated on what these big banks are doing. They're controlling the company. They control uh, Scott Morrison. They control the treasurer. And that's why we're getting these motherhood stupid statements uh, that everybody has to be responsible for anything they find themselves into. It's ridiculous. It is just an invitation for white collar crime to be a major force in Australia, and, and, and it's not gonna end there. It's gonna end in a bloodbath of people when they really find out they've been lied to, when they really find out what the truth of these financial products are, when they really find out that ASIC is the most weak regulator we've ever had because of the Morrison policies.
0: Denise, that's an excellent note to lend on, very powerful. Um, what, I, what I urge the viewer, We've, we've, today's show has been certainly about reminding people how bad the problem is and is ongoing. It does reinforce the need for fundamental reform though and that that starts with not being fooled into believing that anything was done in the last few years right this the direction the government go, is is um, determined to go here is a di- disaster. Denise is the best qualified person in Australia to testify on that, and even though she's supposed to be retired, she's still in there fighting, for which, Denise, we really um, tip our hat to you. Um, we appreciate your appearing on Citizens Insight today. Your insight has been incredibly valuable. We will take your views and keep fighting, because that's what this whole um, uh, the Citizens' Party's mission is about. We have to fix this banking system. So many of the problems in Australia begin and end there. Right, it's not, the, it's not totally the be all and end all, but I tell you what, you fix the banking problems in Australia up, so many other things will fall into place. And that starts with recognising the problem. And Denise, you very much helped us do that today. So thanks very much. You're very welcome. And may I
1: say, all I want at it for Australians in, in my so-called pseudo-retirement is fairness, Robbie. Yeah. Fairness for citizens, fairness for every citizen. That's not happening at the moment. So I thank you for the time.
0: Thanks, Denise.